Hey, we're still here with George Mason University. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Kelly Johnson. Uh, she's an assistant professor at Baylor University, focusing on youth literacy education. Uh, Kelly and I went to Teachers College together, and we've uh, worked together on several papers around the REACH after-school program. And she's here to share a bit more about one of our recent publications. So here we go with a new episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. Now, the article we're highlighting today is titled Girls' Experiences in a Positive Youth Development Sport Program, Developing a, a Participant-Centered Space. Uh, it's co-authored by Dr. Johnson and myself and Dr. Ray Frederick, who um, has been a co-author of mine and a great colleague and friend for a while, um, and Vidya Bot, who is another TC alum. So this paper was published in the Journal of Youth Development. A great process, by the way, for those of you looking to submit some papers in, in this area um, to looking for publish in open access. There's no fees uh, with it. So Dr. Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Risto. So why don't we just start off and explain to everyone how I suckered you to join the REACH project back a long time ago now, it seems. Yes, it has been a while. Um, well, luckily, Risto and I met in a, a class together at TC, and he must have remembered that um, I am a literacy person. And so um, I think it seems like as the REACH program was expanding to really focus more on literacy, he reached out to me, and it seemed like a great opportunity to um, kind of bring my interest and merge with what they were already doing. And I think this is the only useful LinkedIn connection that I've ever had because I think that's how I like, I saw you come up I'm like, I oh my so. God, this is perfect timing. So, <laughs> all right. So we're glad you joined the team. Um, so REACH works in the after school space. We know that the space is often really underfunded and underserved and a lot of research points to urban low-income communities having less access to outdoor space, especially in uh, New York and specifically Harlem where we were. Uh, there's less, less healthy food options, there's higher dropout rates, and the list goes on and on and on. But uh, we do know that after-school programming can reduce these systemic, uh, systemic inequities. Um, so what else do we know? Okay, so yeah, research shows us that youth in urban, low socioeconomic, and high crime areas benefit more than any other population from after-school programs. So this already demonstrates, you know, the powerful role of interventions such as after-school programs in combating, like you said, the systemic inequities that people in urban areas experience. And along with that, after-school programs, we know, provide support in academic subjects in addition to opportunities for increased physical activity. So there's a link between these, and we're really trying to expand upon uh, the research that's there, but really contribute to it in more ways. Um, and this article specifically focuses on our girls program. And we're building on the research that shows that girls of color, especially African-American girls, have shown that they are the least physically active demographic group. And this is probably linked to the fact that um, they're living in urban areas that experience high poverty rates, increased violence, and limited places to exercise. Um, so this really leaves school-sponsored or after-school programs as one of the only organized opportunities to participate in intentional physical activity. Right. And so a main goal is that we need to provide safe places for young people to be physically active and learn. 
But we also need to understand the experiences of young people in these types of programs. And so um, we often use this phrase lived experiences in describing these experiences of the of the youth. And that's why we took a case study approach with this program. And so we looked at this through the positive youth development through sport lens. Um, and I defer anyone who's interested in this model uh, to the podcast we did with Dr. Nick Holt, where he explains this really well. So we won't go too much into detail with the model, but I'll kind of jump in and I'll give you uh, give everybody an overview of what Reach is to start with the understanding that you know we did just launch a podcast a few episodes ago about the boys program, which was the first full year uh, research project, and this is the second one. Um, so Reach stands for Reflective Educational Approach to Character and Health. Um, so basically, our focus is on delivering after-school programming in under-resourced communities through a program that really provides a safe physical activity opportunity for for students. And in Harlem, we focused on basketball, uh, as that was what the students really loved there. Uh, When I moved to California, we started a program uh, where we changed the sport to soccer. Um, It kind of stemmed from about a year of me observing to see what they what the students were doing and the school was 92% Latino and a lot of the kids love soccer there so we aim to make the sport culturally relevant uh, when we go to a new school uh, we ask the kids what they like we examine the environment and then we write the program to serve that community and fit that school um, that's something that's similar to what we um, Kelly and I have started now in um, in Paraguay with a partnership with the Peace Corps Um, So in addition to sport, we're focusing on literacy education. That's where Kelly really comes into the picture and the focus on um, the common core for so reading, writing, listening and speaking skills. We also teach fitness concepts and focus on things that kids can do outside of reach. So a big push is to be able to do these in small spaces. Oftentimes we work in urban environments and we have limited space. So we use resistance bands and jump ropes and uh, body weight uh, exercise skills and then with the overarching goal is working on character development and we do this through reflective writing uh, building relationships with the uh, with the students working with vocabulary words that become these themes of the week that are always character driven like effort resilience and honesty and so forth but I think we could do an entire episode on the REACH program and how it works, and uh, we'll link to some articles that discuss this more in depth. But what we're here for, uh, Kelly, so can you explain the context of the study we're talking about um, in this paper? Sure. So, um, but the program aspect in the school that we're in, uh, the weekly REACH sessions took place from October to May, um, and so this was actually in the 2015 to 2016 school year, um, one day a week after school for about one and a half hours in the school gym. And this school, um, as Bristol mentioned, was in East Harlem. It's it's known as a community school. So um, it partnered with outside organizations um, that provided after school programs and REACH was one of these. So it's a Title I school with 84% of students qualifying for free and reduced lunch. And there were a lot of needs um, that the, the community was trying to reach to um, serve the school. So in the previous year, REACH had held sessions for an all-boys group. Um, and through that experience, it kind of came out um, through conversations with site leaders and the school principal that uh, the girls were also really wanting to participate in the REACH program. And so this was kind of the first 
run with the girls, a girls only program. And, um, you know, their participation was voluntary and, um, uh, so can you yeah, talk yeah. a little bit more about the specific participants that we uh, we had in the in the REACH program this year? Yes. Yeah, so we had about 12 fourth and fifth grade girls. Um, their attendance fluctuated uh, just because there were other things happening at the school in the after school time. But usually we had about five to eight girls in attendance each week. Um, and the focal participants for this study were about five of those fourth and fifth grade girls who regularly attended REACH each week. Um, so all of these girls identified as either African-American or Latina. And uh, from the group of those five regulars, um, all students were invited to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one interview. And two of the girls ended up being our kind of final interviewees. Uh, this was decided based on their um, written consent that they, you know, got from their uh, guardians or parents. Um, so we'll, we'll speak about limitations later, but that was one of the limitations was that, you know, actually getting those consent forms and the communication between parents was a bit difficult. Right. And then you also had the coach, Amy, and then you were also sitting in on those observations. Yes. Yeah. We had the coach. Um, I was there most of the sessions. And then there were a couple of site leaders as well that helped kind of with just the um, kind of <laughs> minutes. Yeah, they were, they were kind of supervisors there to take the right. students there, but they were um, not as active in running the sessions, but a, a great resource definitely to have to understand right. what's going on four days out of the week with the students. So, yes. and so we had data from student interviews. Um, they made their weekly journals, the students did. Uh, the notes from observations from you and Amy and your discussions back and forth with Amy, who's the coach. So can you walk us through what you found from the analysis of that, uh, this school year long project? Yeah, so our findings um, really were focused around two main themes. The first was this uh, co-creation of a participant-centered space. Um, so we found that this really contributed to the girls' experience and experiences and reach. Um, and really, what this does is distinguish from kind of reach. Yes, we had the reach program and the curriculum, but this couldn't really be, you know, inserted into the girls' lives. It was really more that they co-created and how they experienced it with Amy, the coach, um, and with their community school supervisors each week. So really this was building upon the experiences of each week based on, you know, what the students were bringing into the program. Um, and so for example, you know, valuing the girls interest in basketball was an important resource that we were trying to uh, build upon. Um, but even more than this, um, the, we found that the girls really love to just play. And so, Basketball was kind of like a gateway for the girls to establish this after-school space that was, you know, really had these connections of physical activity, uh, which may happen through basketball, but it might also happen through informal games. And then to also build on, um, and this kind of goes into our second theme, connections to the different REACH curriculum um, elements that they were experiencing. So this included kind of a word of the week, or theme that they were discussing and that they were journaling about, that they were reflecting about together. Um, and so they were able to um, build on these connections um, 
across the different elements. Right. And I can't like highlight enough how different year one with the all boys program was compared to year two with the all girls program and how we really started to take in, you know, the girls experiences and co-creating the space because I, I don't think it was that much co-created in the beginning. And I think this year has really spun how we co-create that space. And now being five years down the line, that's the, the main, you know, driver of it. But, uh, Look, the main takeaway that we had was that they were able to co-create a participant-centered space. And we also saw a lot of interrelated connections between the girls themselves and then to their coach, Amy, the literacy learning, the physical activity in their own lives. And the way in which this creation of the space happened was because Amy valued the interests of the girls and their knowledge and their personal lives, which I thought was great. Um, and Amy really allowed the girls to shape the program and make it something that was theirs, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we analyzed the data with the positive youth development through sports framework in mind, like you mentioned. So in relation to that, these findings contributed understandings of how girls' experiences produce particular PYD climates. And so that's kind of, you know, what is characterizing um, the PYD program in a certain way. And this really shapes the outcomes. And so the co-created participant-centered space enhances the relational understandings of what's happening between the coach, the participants, and the actual enactment of those program elements. And so this really influenced how they were participating physically through basketball and their other activities, and also how they were experiencing the literacy-based activities and then making the connections between these. Right, and I think the biggest takeaway here is that the process of co-creating this participant-centered space and valuing participant connections through program elements really hold this important implications for the field. So for the practical implications, we show that understanding and valuing participants, in this case, young girls of color, shapes the enactment of our after-school PYD program. So with that said, can you explain some of the limitations we had in this uh, research project? Yes. So there are a few limitations to consider. Um, first, we know that in conducting research with youth and with children, ethics are extremely important. And so we wanted to follow the proper protocols for obtaining consent from participants. So as I mentioned in the beginning, our sample size was pretty small. Um, we had our core of five girls in only two one-on-one -on -one interviews. And that's um, really based on just the the consent forms that we got back. So one thing to think about is, you know, uh, processes uh, for communicating with participants and especially student participants and their guardians. And this could really strengthen future studies, you know, that is, are seeking to examine participants' experiences. Um, I think this is typically a challenge for most researchers who are doing work with children, especially in a, an after-school setting where we're not really in direct communication with parents. Um, also, as we began analyzing more data near the end of the program year, we realized the ways that um, other theories might enhance um, both the REACH program as well as our methodological approach. So really, we were thinking about how we could uh, more actively include the girls in the actual research process. So this would be kind of moving to more of a participatory 
methodology, and uh, that may be something that we um, continue to expand on in the future. Yeah, and I think that there there were issues in year one with the boys getting consent forms for the interviews, and I I feel like with the girls we really struggled and. You know, we want to interview everybody, but if we don't get that consent form, then although they're participating in the program and perhaps getting the benefits of, you know, Amy's instruction, we just can't document that in the research process, which always I feel like is a is frustrating, but a realistic um, situation when you're working with with minors. Um, right. So we have a lot of interesting stuff coming from the now five years we've conducted research on with the REACH program. It's been a super interesting uh, ride for sure. I've learned a ton about teaching, about students and communities. Um, we just did that podcast, which is only 12 minutes of research presentation about the all boys program, if you're interested in that. Um, so Kelly, thanks for coming on and talking about uh, your part of this project. Um, can you let uh, people yeah. know a little bit more about if they can find more information on your current work or what you're doing or any social media or research gate or anything like that? Right. Um, well, like Rissa said, I'm at Baylor University, so um, I do have my faculty page. I'm not that um, out there on social media. Maybe I should be. Um, yeah, maybe we'll convert you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I need a way. So glad that you mentioned that um i do have you know i am on google scholar and uh can you share a little bit about what your other research is and when it's more towards literacy and not maybe in this physical activity space so people kind of understand you know what your dissertation topic was and what you're interested in researching outside of this this project yeah thank you so um yeah, so one thing that I've been trying to bring into the REACH program is how we think about literacy from more of a sociocultural or affective lens. And so what this is doing is kind of realizing that literacy is very much a social practice and very contextualized. And so we can kind of think about literacy and broader um, understandings. And so my research really um, integrates to that. Uh, my dissertation, which I'm still writing on and uh, presenting and publishing on, is really looking at how students, um, how youth engage with literacy in these affective ways. Um, and so that's really looking uh, beyond just the mechanics of reading and writing to look at how um, literacy as a social practice kind of emerges in these unexpected ways, um, but that how it helps us to understand how youth are um, always already engaging in literacy in everyday ways. Um, and so I'm continuing to research on that. My new research will focus on uh, more on university school partnerships and how we're thinking about literacy in an integrated way from a community participatory action research uh, methodology and how we're bringing together the community, the school and the university to um, support teachers on literacy instruction and to look at equitable and ethical literacy outcomes with students. Awesome. And, and I think maybe this part could have been in the very, very, very beginning because one of the reasons why we brought Kelly on board was Ray and I applied for a grant and we got rejected hard 
with this line that says literacy in your program seems to be an afterthought. And, you know, I, I really took that to heart. And I realized after partnering with Kelly on this project that I was doing the equivalent of rolling out the ball in literacy. We looked at literacy in the very first years of, oh, we need them to read and we need them to write. And we're just going to add these things. And it wasn't this idea of a holistic integration like what you talked about and what we're now doing doing in Paraguay about being, you know, part of an every aspect, just like a kid that's learning science would look up and go, why is the sky blue? Why is that caterpillar walking that way and constantly being around that? And that's how. I think you've described literacy education to me. That's been really interesting for me is having it be holistic of everywhere you're going is that should be part of your life, not just you're going to sit down for 20 minutes and write. Right. Absolutely. And that's, I think what um, I'm really excited about with the reach project is just that um, it's a way to kind of, um, shed light on the way that literacy practices are always already happening. And um, I think that's a an area of uh, research and scholarship that we can continue to expand in. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll link to the article in the notes section. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. Thank you.